I want to speak to you this morning about <clears throat> the topic, hell is hot and time is short. Now, we don't like speaking about hell. <clears throat> Part of the reason we don't like speaking about hell is because the age we live in has kind of put away the whole idea of fear, and we don't want to be afraid, so we don't like talking about hell at all. The problem for us as believers is this, though, <clears throat> that biblically, hell is very real. Hell is going to be the reality for people who do not come to Jesus Christ as Savior. And we as believers need to keep that in mind. We need to understand because traditionally and historically, the motivation for reaching souls has been hell. And when you remove hell from the picture in our hearts, what happens is you remove the motivation to reach people with the gospel. You see... If we really believe that the people out there that don't come to Jesus Christ as Savior will spend eternity in hell, then we have to reach out to them with the gospel. We have to warn them about the gospel. C.T. Studd was saved at the time, and he stood in Hyde Park, just outside Hyde Park there on a corner where uh, people normally came uh, in his day, uh, and they, they, would, they would stand on the corner and they would, they would give their discourses. Christians would do it. Uh, atheists would do it. Whoever, wanted, whoever had something to say uh, would stand on the corner and, and they could they'd get up and, and, and say it. Well, one day C.T. Stood was there and there was an atheist speaking. And the atheist made this statement. He said, if I believed what Christians believe about people going to hell, then I would spare nothing. I would be willing to sacrifice my life to stop people from going to hell. And he says, but they say they believe it, but they don't act like that. And C.T. Studd went away completely convicted. He was convicted with the fact that, you know what, if I believe it's real, then I should be telling people about it. And it changed his life, turned his life around. If we believe hell is real... We end up coming to the place where we have to tell people about it. Now, if we soften, soften hell in our minds and make, yeah, well, you know what? <clears throat> uh, yeah, it's there, but let's not think about it because it's nasty. What happens is we lose the motivation. Now, you and I can't save anybody, but we can warn them. You and I can't actually take the responsibility of reaching people with the gospel, but we are responsible for delivering the message. And you know what? If you really believe what the Bible says about hell, you end up coming to the place where you wouldn't want your worst enemy to go there. And that's a motivation for us to actually get out there with the gospel. One of the problems with our age is that we've come to the place where, you know what, we know there's a hell biblically, but it's kind of up there somewhere. There is no real grappling with it. Um, In times gone by, recent times, if you had a week of meetings at a church like this, there would be one message devoted to hell. One full message devoted devoted to hell. Rarely do we see that now. Rarely. Jonathan Edwards preached a famous sermon. And the sermon was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And what he did in the sermon is he actually talked about uh, sinners like a spider being suspended over flame, that they were ready to fall into it. And <clears throat> it sparked people. People got saved. You see, so we can soften it. We can try and make the gospel nice and palatable. 
We can try and tell people, well, you have a better life if you get saved. We can tell people, well, you know, things will go well and you get to go to heaven. But if we pull hell out from under it, what happens is we pull out the motivation for us declaring truth to them and we pull out also uh, the, 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 the motivation for them getting saved. So that each one of us in our hearts have to grapple uh, with the reality of hell because, you know what? It's coming. It's real. Now, having said all that, I'm not going to preach on hell this morning. I just want you to understand that what we're looking at makes it important that we actually get the gospel out. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll read our text. Father, would you bless us this morning? Or we need your blessing, and we need your hand. Lord, I need you uh, to enable me to say what what needs to be said and to hold back what needs not to be said. And Lord, we need you as a people, Lord, that we can hear and that your, your word, Lord, doesn't just go over our heads, that it finds a mark and lodges in our hearts. And, oh, Lord, we want to be changed. We want to be turned around. Lord, <clears throat> we dwell in the world, Lord, uh, <clears throat> all through the week. And we, and we come, Lord, and for uh, a few short moments on a Sunday, Lord, your word has free reign. Blessed Spirit, would you take it now? And would you do what only you can do with it, Lord? Would you do a work in our hearts this morning that will be lasting and that will change us and that will send us out from this place, Lord, with a heart and a passion to tell people about you? Blessed Spirit of the living God, would you come down now and do that work in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Peter chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Now, what Peter is talking about here is he's talking about uh, the fact that when Jesus left, he said he was coming back. That the day of reckoning was coming, and he was coming back before that day. And he let everybody know. Uh, but you know what? Years went by, and he hadn't come. And so what happened was people were saying, Well, he's not coming. I mean, he said he was coming. He hasn't come. You know, um, uh, he, He's not coming. Because everything just goes on as it always was. And don't we easily fall into that place where, you know, everything's the same as it was for the last few years. So, you know, uh, it's always going to stay the same. I mean, it's amazing. You know, you can be in the depth of winter and you can't imagine summer, can you? Yeah, you just can't imagine what it's like to to have a nice sunny day uh, when you can go out in a t-shirt and feel warm. And then it comes summer in the heat of the summer and you can't imagine a winter's day. We get acclimatized to what's going on around us very quickly. So we look at our world, and our world is the way it's always been, and we say, well, that's the way it's always going to be. But that's not true. Verse 5 says, For this they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Right, now, what he's talking about the flood there. You know, <clears throat> Noah preached for 120 years about the flood. He says, coming. So it's God's, going to, God's going to drown the world. God is going to drown everybody in this world. You need to get right. You need to get in the ark. You need to get saved. Uh, he, he preached and he preached and everybody laughed. But then the flood did come. Then it came, and it came, and all of a sudden, reality changed. Everybody's reality was, yeah, the world's always been this way. The world's always going to go on this way. And then the flood came, and in a moment, so to speak, everything changed completely. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, 
that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Have you noticed that God's not working on our time schedule? Have you noticed that the years, God doesn't respond in the way you expect him to respond? Have you noticed that God often makes you wait longer than you think it's possible to wait for something? Have you noticed that God is obviously and very clearly working to a different time schedule than we are? He says, don't be ignorant. The time is not the issue with God. And then in verse 9, and this is really where our text is this morning, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away and the great noise uh, with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. The day of the Lord will come. First thing, <clears throat> first problem we have is uh, God seems to be very slow in doing what he does. Uh, and, and we notice that, you know, you've all done something wrong and you've kind of waited for God to do something about it and he hasn't done anything about it. And then you feel you get away with it. And so you just move on with your life having gotten away with it, but you haven't really gotten away with anything. Uh, But we think that we have. God seems to be very slow in responding to sin. People live wicked lives, and we look at them and we think, you know, they're going to get it, they're going to get it now, and they they don't get it now. You know, God seems to be slow in responding. And God is slow in responding. But because God is slow in responding, we think he's not going to respond. It's just the nature of humanity. Yeah, you know, you can say, okay, well, yeah, I know the end is coming. I know the Lord Jesus Christ is going to burn the whole thing up. I know, but it's not now. It hasn't happened in my lifetime. I'm 57 years old. You know what? It's, It's probably not going to happen. That's where we get to. That's that's not true, though. Uh, Imagine with me for a moment if you were a Jew in in, um, Germany when Hitler came to power. Now, we know historically uh, the word went out, get out. He has come to power. Uh, He he is going to do damage. He is looking to uh, get rid of the Jews. Uh, They they knew what what was happening, but they didn't leave. Laws began to get passed that isolated the Jews. Laws began to be passed that put them in ghettos and so on, and and still people didn't leave. Now, why didn't they leave? Why didn't they get out? They were being warned that that, that that the situation was dangerous. They were being warned that it was going to get worse for them. Why didn't they get out? Then, of course, the day came when they were put in a railway car. And you know what? There was no getting out then. It was over. But why didn't they leave? Well, you know what? Some of them said, but this is my home. This has been my home for generations. That would be hard to leave your home for generations just because some lunatic had taken over as leader, wouldn't it? Uh, They would have said, this is where I make my living. How will I make a living if I leave and go somewhere else? Uh, The laws were passed gradually so that it kind of built up steam over years, right? <clears throat> um, they didn't believe it could happen, basically. Yeah, they, they looked at the signs, they looked at the signals, 
But they didn't believe it could happen. They didn't believe this was about to become reality in their lives. You know, the truth is that because God holds back judgment, humanity doesn't believe it's going to happen. They don't believe in judgment. They don't believe God's got any authority in the situation. They don't believe they're going to have to face God. They don't believe there's a hell. They've, they've, they've outgrown those foolish notions that they consider were only made to make people fearful and obey the church. That's what they think. And they don't realize that it's coming. It's coming. Judgment is coming. Judgment is happening every day. People die and, <clears throat> and judgment comes to them. Judgment is happening every day and they don't realize it. And we don't realize it either. You see, we live in a marvelous age when we've not been touched by the harshness of war. When we've not in our society seen famine. You know, in, in, in Little Ireland, we've not even seen any of the drastic um, weather patterns that they see in other places. We, we live in a very protected, very safe world, and we feel it will always go on this way. You know, we feel we will always have a government that look kindly on us. We feel that we will always have uh, what we have today, and we certainly are not reckoning on judgment from God. Even as believers, we're kind of, kind, of, kind of glad to have an insurance policy in our back pockets, but that's not where we're living. That's not what we're thinking. That's not what we're living for. You were in Edinburgh this week, and I was reading up on some of the uh, stories about the Christians uh, that lived in, in, in Edinburgh. Uh, those 2,000 believers put to death for stepping outside the established church of the day. 2,000 believers, they were all hanged. And I was just thinking that what would it be like to stand and have a noose put around your neck because of your beliefs? You know what? <clears throat> I don't think we're there, are we? I think, you know, we live in a place where we expect our Christianity to be nice and palatable and comfortable. And <clears throat> even worse than that, we know judgment is coming because the Bible says it, but we're not really living in the place where we're expecting it. And we've been lulled into a place of ease and comfort. It's kind of like the frog in the kettle, the frog in the pot. Uh, they say that a frog, <clears throat> you know, can't feel the change in heat. So if you put the frog in a pot and the water's cold, he's going to feel fine. And you can put heat to the, to the uh, pot uh, with the frog in the water in the pot, and <clears throat> the frog won't know until he overheats and dies that he's overheating. And you know, I think this is what happens with us too. That we come to the place where, where we relax into things and we live in this world and yet we know people are going to hell and we know that's the reality but you know what? It's always been like this. And, and we're not that concerned and we're not that overly worried about it because it's always been the way it is. And, and God's not moving very fast in this thing. Second thing is there's a reality. God is very patient with sinners. Now you know what? I'm very glad that God is very patient with sinners. Because here's one guy that wouldn't be here if God instantly reacted to sinners. And you know what? Neither would you. Because we've all done enough to, for, for God to eliminate us completely. <clears throat> but God is very patient with sinners. God loves us. 
God loves us and wants the best for us. He's very patient with sinners. Look at Exodus 34, verse 6. And the Lord passed by before him, before Moses, and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. The Lord God, gracious and long-suffering. Now, what does it mean when we say long-suffering? In 1 Peter 3, 9, we see the word repeated again. What does it mean when we say that God is long-suffering? It means that he is holding back from what he wants to do. He is holding back his wrath over sin. That he is, he's, he's, he's being patient. He's holding on to it. He's, it's suffering. He doesn't like holding on to it. His nature would be to let it loose and deal with sin. But he's doing what goes against his nature. He's holding back from dealing with sin. He's, he's, he's long-suffering. <clears throat> he's gracious. Right? Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He is slow to anger. It's not that God does not see the wickedness of the world. It's not that God does not look on wickedness and, <clears throat> and have a reaction inside of himself. What he does, though, is he holds it back. He is slow to let his anger rise. He is plentiful in mercy. Again, he's, he's holding back. He's holding back his wrath. Ezekiel 33, verse 11, say, say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? Right? God says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Don't we somehow feel that, you know, God's, <laughs> God hates sin and he's angry and he's wrathful and he's just waiting to get even with all those people who haven't accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior, as their Savior. Do you know that God takes no pleasure in that? God takes no pleasure in anybody going to hell. That's not what it's about. It's not about God taking pleasure and he doesn't want that to happen. Right? <clears throat> God's, God's pleasure is in that wicked people turn from their way and live. He says to Israel, why will ye die? He says to our generation, why will ye die? Why will ye die in your sin? Why will ye not turn to me for repentance? God takes pleasure in salvation. He does not take pleasure in judgment. You know... <clears throat> The Bible talks about the fact that there's a party in heaven, there's joy in heaven. We just sang about it. There's a new name written down in glory and it's mine. And God takes pleasure in the salvation of a sinner. But nowhere do you find in the Bible where God takes pleasure in judgment. He does judgment, but he doesn't take pleasure in it. That's not what he wants. That's not his plan. God loves us. God loves our world out there. God loves the most wicked people out there. The people we have a hard time with, God loves them. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's not talking about saved people. God gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God loves lost people. God wants lost people to be saved. God is long-suffering. God is patient. God is merciful. God is gracious. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked because God loves people and he wants people to get saved. 
So that though we look at the situation and we think, well, you know what, God's not doing much about this situation. <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> um, maybe he's not going to do anything. Maybe it's just the same as it's always going to, be, going to be. Though we get lulled into a complacency by the fact that things aren't changed, we need to understand that the reason things are not changing is because God is loving and long-suffering and patient and gracious and takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. There's no, no, nothing that pleases God about it at all. He will do it, but nothing pleases him about it. His heart is to see souls saved. God is holding back so that souls can be saved. And by the way, we, we talk about this. We talk about the fact that only a few are going to get saved. And, and, and that can be another lie that we swallow. Only a few are going to get saved. Do you know that the few that are going to get saved turn into an, an, an innumerable multitude in the book of Revelation around the throne? That it's not a few in the sense that it's only a handful. Uh-uh. There's a lot of people going to get saved. There's a lot of people to get, that get saved today. There's a lot of people that, that, that need to hear the word and get saved today because God is long-suffering and merciful and he's holding back his wrath so that they can get saved. <clears throat> Then he gives us an invitation. God waits for us to come, but that all should come to repentance. Now, <clears throat> what the verse says is God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Do you know that there are a lot of areas where we don't know the will of God? There are a lot of, there are a lot of areas you know, where, where, we, where the will of God is kind of something that we're kind of searching for and, and hoping to find out. And there are some certain few areas where we know the will of God. Absolutely, categorically, because he's put it down. He's laid it down for us. Do you know that it is God's will that you get saved? It is God's will. It is his plan. It is what he wants. It is God's will that you get saved. It is God's will that all those people out there get saved. It is God's will that, <clears throat> that everybody should come to know his son and that they should be saved. Jesus Christ paid the price for all sins. You know... <clears throat> Everybody is covered if they will just come to repentance. Everybody is covered if they will come to repentance. It's God's will. Now, you're saying, but hang on a minute, Pastor. We, we know from life and we know from Scripture that everybody's not going to get saved. We know that, you know, though it's God's will that everybody gets saved, everybody is not going to get saved. How, how does that work out? Well, you know, very often God has a will. Here's what his will. He declares what his will is. But you have a free will. And you can choose and you can say no. God has a will. God has a plan. And <clears throat> but you can say, no, I don't want to. We're going to look tonight at Samuel. Uh, and um, <clears throat> when the people demand a king. And the will of God is not for them to have a king. But he lets them have a king anyway. We'll talk about that tonight. Do you know that God has a permissive will? It's not what he wants for you, but if you don't want to do what he wants for you, God will often let you do something else. It'll never be the best thing for you, though. Never be the best thing. The best thing for us is to submit to his will and do his will. Is to yield to his will. <clears throat> you see, it's God's will that everybody gets saved, but God only saves through faith. For by grace he is saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. There's no way you can get saved apart from coming to the place where you repent of your sin and believe on him. We you understand your need for a saver and you believe on him, 
God will allow you to go to hell. He doesn't want you to go to hell. It's not his plan. He has no pleasure in it. He has no desire to see that happen in your life, but God will allow you to go to hell. God will allow people out there to go to hell. And again, folks, I'm not suggesting that we take on the burden and say, okay, we've got to get them all saved. We can't. But we do have to warn all of them. We do have to issue the warning on his behalf. We can't save them, but we can definitely warn them. God will allow you to go to hell. The man called George Wilson uh, in 1829 <clears throat> in the States, uh, he, he robbed, uh, two, him and another man robbed a mail <clears throat> delivery, right? And they were found uh, later on, and they, they were tried for it. And <clears throat> one man, the, the first man was, put, was hanged for it because they had endangered, they hadn't killed, they had endangered the life uh, of, of the driver. Well, George Wilson had some powerful friends, and his powerful friends got behind him, and, and, and they pressured President Jackson uh, to issue a pardon, and finally the pardon was granted. So they came to George Wilson, and they told George Wilson, the president has pardoned you. And George Wilson said, I don't want it. Now, they were, they were kind of uh, perplexed. They didn't know what to do with that, because... He was offered a pardon, but he said he didn't want it. So then he went to the courts, went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ruled that <clears throat> he couldn't get a pardon if he didn't receive it. That he had to receive the pardon. He never received the pardon, and he ended up being hanged for his crime. Isn't that amazing? Do you know that God will let people go to hell? Even though there's a pardon available, and there's a pardon offered to everyone. There's a pardon offered to everybody on this planet. The Bible says, The grace that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. There's a pardon offered to everybody. But people are going to say, No, I don't want it. People are going to refuse it. People are going to reject it. And if people reject it, then God has no option but to allow them to pay the price for their own sin. You see... It's never God's will for somebody to go to hell. Never. It's always God's will for people to come to repentance and go to heaven. But when they refuse the pardon he has offered them in Jesus Christ, there's no option but for them to go to hell. That's how people end up in hell. You know, somebody has said this, and it's very true. In order for somebody to go to hell in this age, they have to go over the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ. They have to step over the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ because he died for all. He paid the price for all. <clears throat> and when somebody goes to hell, what they're saying is they're saying that they, they're rejecting what Christ has done for them. Do you know that God wants you to be saved? That God wants you to come to him that God wants you to trust him and bow before him. And it's as simple and as sweet a thing as you've ever done in your life. God wants those people out there to be saved too. And it's as simple and as sweet a thing as anybody could ever done, do. And yet, if people won't come, God will allow them to go to hell. Then <clears throat> there's the motivation. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Do you know the day of the Lord will come? Judgment will come for people. That day of judgment will come. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back. He's going to call us out, all out of this world. And if he doesn't come back, 
you're going to die. If you, don't, if you don't live till he comes back, you're going to die. And when you die, you face judgment. Right? <clears throat> and the Bible says everybody on this planet, but it is appointed to man once to die. And after this, the judgment. Once you die, the power goes from your hands. The, <clears throat> the gift is removed from your ability to actually receive it. Once you die, the chance is over. The opportunity is done. It's finished. God wants you to be saved. God has made it possible for you to to be saved. But once you die, your chance is gone. The day of the Lord will come as sure as anything. Judgment is coming to this world. There's nothing sure. God has said it and God has never failed to keep his promise. Judgment is coming. You can pretend, you can close your eyes, you can reject it, you can say what you like, but judgment is coming. You know, on the 26th of December 2004, uh, a tsunami hit India and several of the countries surrounding it. 100 foot high waves crashed on the shore. Now, I was looking at the buildings across the way. The buildings across the way, I reckon, are less than 50 feet high. Can you imagine a 100-foot wall of sea coming in? Somebody did a study on it, and they said that, it, that the power of the tsunami <clears throat> carried with it uh, the equivalent of 23,000 atomic bombs of the size that was dropped on Hiroshima, the power that was in it. Well, <clears throat> it devastated a huge portion of the world. Almost a quarter of a million people died. Almost a quarter of a million people were, were, were just swept away. And the thing about a tsunami is that <clears throat> it's, to my mind, it's one of the most insidious of all disasters. You see, if you're ever in a tornado zone, well, <clears throat> what you'll notice is you'll notice the, the, the sky going dark. And the wind gets weird, and you know uh, people are looking out for the for those funnel clouds, and all of a sudden somebody will say there's a funnel cloud, and everybody runs for cover. But you kind of it, it gets so weird that you expect something weird to happen. Right? You know, if you're in a hurricane, well, you know what, it'll build up and it'll come in uh, slowly, maybe, but you know you'll know something is coming. You know, if you're in an earthquake, well. The ground's going to shake and it's going to look uh, terrible. But you know, in a tsunami, it's not like that. In a tsunami, everything looks fine. You've seen the videos by now of, of, of that tsunami. You've, you've seen, you know, people sitting on their, uh, uh, sitting, eating their breakfast and uh, watching the sea. And it's a perfectly fine day. Everything is just nice. Everything is beautiful. And all of a sudden, this 100-foot wall of sea comes in and it takes buildings away it lifts cars up it takes boats and brings them far inland <clears throat> the power of it is just incredible but there's no warning absolutely no warning see what happens <clears throat> when a tsunami comes is there's 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 an earthquake <clears throat> or, or some of their other ways but an earthquake happens deep under the sea and what happens is it takes and it it, <clears throat> it shoves the water up and starts a wave. Now, when it's far out at sea, it's a very slow swell. 
It's not big at all. <clears throat> if you were out at sea, you might notice your boat kind of uh, going over it and think that was that was kind of weird. Uh, <clears throat> but but it's big. But <clears throat> it travels along then at about six hundred miles an hour until it meets a beach. And when it meets a beach, it hits the beach, and the force of it drives it straight up. And it becomes, on the beach, it becomes a wall of water. And when it comes down, <clears throat> it just devastates everything. Water's powerful stuff. It just devastates everything. But you could be sitting there thinking, it's not going to happen. There's nothing happening. It's a fine day. Everything's just like it's always been. And <clears throat> that's where we are today. We're sitting and thinking everything is just the way it's always been. But that's not true. Judgment is started. Jesus said it was coming. He didn't say when it was coming. But he said it was coming. But do you know, there are people that died yesterday that didn't expect to die. And have woken up today in hell. Do you know that? That's how our world is. All of a sudden, they realize. If they could, they would come back and they would warn us. They would tell us. In, in, in Luke chapter 16, you have the rich man and Lazarus. What does the rich man want to do? He wants a drink of water. He can't have a drink of water. What does he want? What does he want? He's, he's in hell. What, what does he want when he can't have a drink of water? He says, would you send someone to tell my brothers? Send someone to warn them of this place. But there's no warning them. If they won't hear Moses and the prophets, then they wouldn't hear the one were sent for them. And there's no hope for them. There's no warning them. Do you know <clears throat> that there are people that have passed out of this world in this past week? And they know. For them, it's no longer arm's length. For them, it's no longer things are always the way they, they were. Some of them are in heaven. Some of them are in hell. But you know what? Reality has become what the Bible says. Now, we live in a day when we say it's not going to happen. It's all going to happen. You and I are going to die, and if we don't die, judgment will come, the Lord, the Lord will come back. <clears throat> it's going to happen. Why? Because God said. Because God said. You know what the tsunami? <clears throat> the tsunami started 3,000 miles away and traveled at 600 miles an hour. It would have taken five hours to reach some of the places that it hit. It was out there. It was on the way. People were getting out of bed. They were having their breakfast. There was a tsunami on the way. They didn't know. Men, I'm sure, were, were fixing up their boats to go fishing. There was a tsunami on the way. They didn't know. People were getting their deck chairs and so on down by the beach to enjoy the sunshine, but they didn't know there was a tsunami coming. They were never going to get there. There was a tsunami coming, and they didn't reckon on it. They didn't realize it. It just happened. Do you know there's a tsunami of judgment coming for our, for our world? It's real. It's much more real than a hundred foot wall of water. It's the judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Father saying, it is over. It's the Father saying, I can suffer no longer with it. It's the Father saying, it is time. There's a judgment coming. It started. It's on its way. Now, <clears throat> what do we do with that? Just give us indigestion for our lunch today. What do we do with that reality? 
Let me give you three things you can do when we're done. First of all, obviously, if you're not saved, get saved. Doesn't that make sense? Why risk it? You know. You can hold it at arm's length. You can, you can reject it. But if you're not saved, get saved. Today. You say, why today? Because you don't know that you have tomorrow. Get saved today. <clears throat> that, that's, that, listen, there's nothing more important in your life than that you actually come to the place where you get saved. But the second thing is this. You have family and friends. Some of them don't know. Some of them don't know that judgment is coming. Warn them. Warn them. Do you know that one of the most dreadful things about the tsunami that hit on the 26th of December uh, 2004 is this. They knew it had happened. They knew there was an earthquake. And they knew in all likelihood it was big enough that it had caused a tsunami. But there wasn't a warning system in place for them to actually tell the people that it was going. They, 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 they didn't have the ability to take and to warn them. So they knew it was happening. They didn't know when, they didn't know where, they didn't know, but they knew it was happening, but there was no way to warn everybody. Now here's the point I want to make. You and I know judgment is coming. We know it's happening. We know the wave is out there. We know it's on its way. Now, we can say, you know what? None of my business. I'm just trying to get through life and live like I can, and we can, we can just keep our little heads down and pretend it doesn't mean anything to us. Or we can say to people, judgment is coming. You need to get right with God. You need to get saved. You say, but they're going to laugh at me. Yeah. They laughed at Noah. 120 years. But you know what? The day the rains came, they weren't laughing anymore. Listen, we need to warn people. We need to first of all settle on the reality that judgment is coming. And then we need to warn people. That's our job. The Lord Jesus Christ did not leave you on this planet to enjoy your Christianity and then to go home. He left you on this planet as a warning system that judgment is coming. Can you imagine if you knew the tsunami was coming and you could warn the people on the beach and you said, I was too busy, I was eating my breakfast, I was getting out of bed, I was having a shower, I was doing... Can you imagine? Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be just criminal? But a greater tsunami than water is coming. Judgment is coming. You need to warn people. You need to. You say they won't listen. <clears throat> listen, if you warn them, then you know what? That's your job done. You can't make them listen. You can't make them get saved. <clears throat> but you can warn them. You can let them know. What are you doing to warn people right now? Let's stand for prayer. Father, would you bless now in these moments, or would you stir our hearts and bring us to a place, Lord, of decision? Holy Spirit, would you work in hearts now? Do that work. 
Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Let me ask you a couple of questions here. First of all, are you saved? Do you know you're saved? Do you know that when, <clears throat> when judgment comes, you're okay because you're under the blood? Jesus Christ has saved you. You're his. You're born again. Would you lift your hand if you know that for sure this morning? You know for sure you're on your way to heaven. Just lift your hand. <clears throat> all around the room. You know for sure you're on your way to heaven. Just lift your hand. Amen. Amen. See those hands. All right. Now, some of you couldn't put your hand up, and I understand that too. I uh, appreciate you being honest about that. But you would say this morning, listen, the Spirit of God is working in my heart. I need this. I need to get saved. I need to be born again. I need to get saved. Pastor, pray for me. Would you just lift your hand so I can pray for you? You're not saved, but you want to get saved. Would you lift your hand so I can pray for you? Anybody at all this morning? Amen. See that hand? Anybody else this morning? Anybody else at all? Oh, listen, don't miss the moment. If God puts it in your heart right now, God stirs you with that fear and that reality bites. You know that repentance is a gift from God. You can't just pick and choose. When God works, you need to respond. But you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, pray for me. I need to get saved. Anybody else? All right, then. One more question. Those of you that are believers. Would you say to the Lord this week, I'm going to warn people. I'm going to talk to the Lord. I'm going to ask him for help, and I'm going to warn people. I'm going to pass out tracts. I'm going to speak to people, but I'm going to do something about it this week. I'm not just going to pretend like it's not happening. I'm going to do something about it this week. Would you lift your hand so I can pray for you? Amen. Amen. Are there others? You can put your hands down. Are there others? Now, Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for working in hearts and lives. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing of your presence. And, oh, Lord, I do pray now, Lord, we, we've committed ourselves to the fact that we're going to do something about it this week. Lord, would you bless? Would you help us? Uh, Lord, <clears throat> would you bring a harvest even this week? Lord, let some soul bow before you and be saved this week. Lord, for that one that raised their hand this morning, Lord, uh, may they trust you this morning. May it be today uh, is the day when they bow before you and are saved. But, Lord, I do pray for us as a church, Lord. Would you give us a burden for the lost, a burden that won't quit, a burden that, <clears throat> that, that uh, doesn't stop because of the inconvenience or because of the laugh or because we're not good at, it, good at it, Lord, but a burden that causes us to be the warning system you intended us to be. Blessed Spirit of the living God, do that work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.